The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Guest today has worked in the field of immigration for over 12 years, supporting his clients in complex immigration cases. Born in Amsterdam, he later moved to the United States in 1986 to pursue a career in theater, film, and television. He later served as press secretary and spokesperson to the Justice Department in The Hague and acted as international policy advisor for the Dutch Immigration and Naturalization Service. He wrote several articles on the issue of illegal immigration, asylum, and refugee law, which were published throughout Europe and helped to draft a framework for the new immigration laws of Croatia. He's a member of the State Bar of California and handles complex litigation cases before the United States Court of Appeals for the Ninth Circuit and is admitted to practice before the United States Supreme Court. David Azza, welcome to you today. Thank you. My goodness me, it seems like a long time ago since our first uh, program together. That's right. It's been about seven months. It's been about seven months, and I'm very, very pleased and delighted that you're you're back with me today. I guess one of our uh, biggest talking points is uh, clearly we're going to be talking about immigration on a global basis, and maybe even talking to the the movement of people that I had talked about in my uh, second uh, letters from America. But essentially, we're going to come back and focus on the new law in Arizona. I think that that will take precedence today. Could you start off just very briefly uh, talking about the dilemma that we have over immigration in the States today, uh, maybe in that, uh, in a couple of minutes, uh, talking about the the inception of the Homeland Security in 2003 following the 9-11 attacks? Sure. I mean, I guess you have to go back to the uh, premise of America, which is uh, that it's a land of immigrants, and it's a that's where it starts and and then when uh, in the early inception of the states uh, you start already with implementation of some kind of an immigration law for people that are not wanted at that particular time and I'm talking about 200 years ago and that has been revisited and revisited and revisited and the latest immigration law is basically unchanged for, it was on change for a long time since 1965, which is the Immigration Nationality Act. Then in 1996, um, in a sort of compromise uh, move by Congress, uh, certain provisions were enacted, which made it more difficult for people to move to the United States, and there were penalties uh, for being an overstay in the United States. That law in 1996 is still in the books. Uh, then, of course, 2001, uh, we had a, um, uh, the tragedy of 9-11, uh, which then uh, 
caused the inception of the Department of Homeland Security in 2003. Originally, immigration was always under the Department of Justice, not under the Department of Homeland Security. It didn't exist. Therefore, um, it wasn't really that um, important to the United States. The Department of Justice had other priorities, and immigration was really low on the totem pole, really low. The uh, INS at that particular time was understaffed, underfunded, enforcement was really not done very well. 2003 comes along, you get a mega uh, department, which is almost overfunded to fight terror and to uh, secure our borders, to um, basically uh, help United States citizens to be safe from all the terror that could arise in the homeland. And immigration then is moved from the Department of Justice to the Department of Homeland Security, where it gets a priority and uh, enforcement suddenly is funded very well. So it could be argued, should it actually have been under the Department of Homeland Security, um, under that rationale, basically anything uh, that's related to uh, Homeland Security could be under that department, including atomic energy, um, uh, labor, uh, anything. But they chose to put immigration under that department. So it has been brought to the forefront as a more important subject and an overfunded uh, department, and that changed the landscape considerably. And that's where we find us today. I want to return back to the last program because actually, and I listened to it a couple of nights ago, y your statement that the system is broken. But can we just go back, and I don't want to spend too much time on this, but I think it's valid uh, for the listeners. Uh, go back the last 300 years, uh, draw a line in the sand here. Uh, obviously, this country was established on the, the, the basis of immigration. It was an important uh, value. Uh, the founding fathers uh, realized uh, that immigration was going to be essential in, in building the country up. And uh, throughout the 1700s, 1800s, of course, there were millions of people uh, who, who came here from Europe, uh, Germany, Ireland. And, of course, uh, in the bladder period in the late 1800s, early 1900s, uh, they became, uh, became uh, uh, driven from Asia. Then, of course, we saw in the 20s that, that uh, they capped it to a, a certain extent. And then, of course, we had this uh, amazing 1965 statement by Johnson, who almost opened the floodgates. But, you know, we, we are driven in this country by immigration, but there is the, the practicality, surely, David, that we are also driven by uh, limited resources. Uh, after all, when you're talking about the movements of people across the world, it's it, at the end of the day, it's about a competition for resources. Uh, given where we are today, given the economic crisis, uh, given that we are spread throughout the world, uh, how is it that we can possibly look at encouraging immigration anymore today? Well, encouraging immigration to the United States if that's what you're looking at. I'm not sure if, if that is the uh, intent of any administration at this particular time. As a, as a, a lawyer, I don't encourage or, disc you know, um, I, I wouldn't tell anybody what to do. Uh, with regard to our resources, we need the influx of young, talented workers. 
in order to get out of this recession. I believe that part of the cost, the part of the cause of this recession, was the turnaround in uh, 2004 and 2005, uh, where it was very difficult, became very difficult to come to the United States. And Microsoft moved its factory from Seattle to Canada because it was easier to get people into Canada. It was easier to um, have workers work in your factory in India than bringing the engineers actually to the United States. So you're talking about a certain form of a brain drain. And now with uh, what's going on in the current climate, it's even harder to get into the United States. So it's a reverse uh, of hundreds of years of policy. And I'm not saying you have to encourage immigration and everybody should come here. That's not what I think the plan is. But you have to understand that the recession that we are facing is partly to blame on the politics of not allowing people to uh, pursue the American dream when you don't allow people to come into the country and you don't al allow uh, new capital, new ideas, uh, new labor to enter into the workforce and into the economy, it dries up. The capitalist system is based on growth. Without growth, there's no capitalist system. So the people that say, well, we are a capitalist system, need to understand that in order to survive, in a capitalist society, you need influx, whether that's a, a person or capital or labor, you need growth. But what is the determination of that influx? That famous 1965 act that was signed by Johnson uh, essentially uh, allowed anybody to come into the country. Uh, you're, are you talking about a, a need to have um, more qualified workers coming into the country? Well, I'm not a politician, thank God, but I can just tell you from my experience in Arizona that not only qualified workers buy homes, uh, qualified workers meaning people who had a bachelor's degree or something like that or, or a master's degree or have a certain extraordinary ability, uh, people that um, make $8 an hour and save enough money to buy a home, they also um, uh, contribute to the the economy and if you then don't allow these people to remain in the United States and if they these people are leaving the United States you cut off the roots of um, of your economy you know the, the, the previous administration had it over had it uh, was talking about the trickle-down effect but by eliminating the, the the new class of people to come in you are also um, cutting off the fundamentals of, a, of, of the capitalist society. Makes me wonder about those listeners uh, today uh, from the Tea Party arena who would probably counter that. Um, well, yeah, I understand the Tea Party movement. I have never really understood how they could call themselves the Tea Party movement because the Tea Party was about no, uh, no taxation without representation. And I believe all these people are being represented in the United States Congress and uh, obviously also represented in the Arizona, Arizona uh, state legislature. So I'm not sure where the Tea Party fits in. Are, are these people not going to pay taxes? I'm not really sure if that's their, uh, the premise of their party. I, I understand that um, there is a need to protect what you have. 
And it's a form of protectionism that would like to keep everybody else out. But isn't that a complete conflict, given that in so many... I, my feeling is that today Americans don't actually know what it is to be American. They don't understand the concept of it. And yet the irony on the other side is that, that this country is very internationalist. We, we, we still have forces in Germany and Japan and all over the world. We're, we're still in Afghanistan. We're still in Iraq. And yet we're not. I, I think if you took a poll... I really don't think that there are a lot of people in this country who really care whether we're abroad or not. And and truly, I can talk to a lot of people even in the state of California and Arizona, and they haven't even been outside of their state borders, let alone abroad. So isn't there a huge conflict in this whole this whole outlook? Well, I'm an immigrant, and, and I find the United States a country of conflict. I mean, it's, it's a very interesting country, and you hit the nail on the head. It is very difficult to understand how you can maintain a country of immigrants and yet also secure and f give everybody the feeling of security uh, of generations of people that are, have been here for a long time. And it's true that, that uh, a lot of Americans do not travel abroad. They, um, they don't speak another language. Uh, it's a very interesting issue. However, um, just because there are large movements of people who do not favor immigration does not make that the right position. Um, uh, it is, it's short-sighted. It's, it's understandable. I, I do understand it. Uh, most of my neighbors would uh, tell me that they like it the way it is. They don't need any anybody else here. They actually tell me 20 years ago it was much better here when all those people weren't here. Uh, but it's it, a way it, of looking it, at life. But, but is that not in itself uh, a form of racialist behavior? I, I don't know if it's necessarily racialist behavior. I think people are naturally afraid of whatever they don't know. And uh, there's a large influx of immigrants in the United States for the last 250 years. It's just the way uh, the country uh, is founded. It's the fabric of this country. Um, and it comes with problems. It does come with problems. If to, to, to give you an example about my own personal life, um, if I come to the United States, um, somebody needs to provide food so I can eat. I mean, I'll buy it, but it, 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 there, so there will be transportation. That will be pollution. Um, I'll buy a house and there will be uh, construction going on and, uh, and that that uses other resources that other people can't use. So multiply that by millions and millions of people. When you have influx of people, illegal or not, it's really not relevant, it uses up resources. And I understand that people want to protect what they have. On the other hand, if you close up a society, it dies. That's just, that's just the way it is. When you do not let anybody in or any thoughts in or any ideas in, um, you fade away. And that's the conflict that maybe the Tea Party movement doesn't want to face. It, there is a conflict. Yeah, but, I mean, let's face it, it it's going to be uh, a strange day that America would fade away when it has in excess of 250 million people in this country. Surely that's not going to happen overnight. It, it may not happen overnight. 
I hope it doesn't happen overnight. I don't think it actually will happen at all. I'm just saying that when you really close yourself off from new ideas and new people and new concepts, um, it eventually makes you irrelevant. I'd like to take you back again to our last program. Sure. And you, you talked about an open society, open borders. Um, and you actually, uh, listening to it, you did talk about the movement of people. I don't really like the word immigration. It, it gets tiresome. I think uh, intellectually it's, it's probably better to use the, the phrase movement of people. I think it talks a lot more about resources. It talks more about incentivizing countries to re- remain strong and uh, to to remain very much in the focus of of building their own country up rather than having a brain drain and seeing Mm -hmm. everybody leave and come to a country like this. Can we talk about Europe a bit? Because obviously you're very well invested in uh, immigration policy there. And you did mention in your last program about the fact that people are free to move around in Europe. But there are huge problems in Europe. I mean, firstly, it's become a very socialized system, uh, which is having a a massive strain on on resources. Are there any lessons with Europe that America should learn right now in order to save itself pain in the long future? Well, what what happened in Europe was that for many, many years, um, politicians really put their heads in the sand. Uh, There was some kind of tolerance towards other cultures and and there was a huge uh, influx of other cultures, but nobody really needed, knew what to do with that. One lesson to learn from, from that is when you have a second generation of this other cultures that are born within your borders, and and if they have the feeling that they d- really don't belong in your country, that's a huge problem. And, that and, that's, is, and that's a problem here now. And that's becoming a problem here now for some. For some. I mean, I think we are so diverse as a country that um, – and we're always t- talking about the – I guess the Mexican population that that uh, ha- needs to adapt or whatever um, that the second generation ha- has these issues. I don't believe these issues are similar to Europe. When you're born in the United States, you are a U.S. citizen. Whether your parents are Mexican or not, whether your parents are illegal or not, you are a U.S. citizen. I think it's a very fundamental, and I think also that the founding fathers were very clear on why that is. So your baggage that your parents had, it's not your fault. You were born in the United States. Whether your parents were uh, illegally coming from Europe or illegally coming from Mexico or overstays, uh, a U.S. citizen is a U.S. citizen. Um, there's no nobility. Uh, you know, you can't have any, any class uh, difference between a U.S. citizen and another U.S. citizen. I think all those things do not exist in Europe. In Europe, it's very much a class society um, in, in each and every country. The nationalist movement within those countries are uh, also increasing the problem of the unacceptance of the other cultures. I mean, uh, not allowing a veil or anything like that, that that's a, another issue. I mean, we're not dealing with that in the United States because we don't have to, because we are a nation of immigrants, and if we understand 
how to integrate amongst each other, we will not have those problems that they have in in Europe. I'm not saying open the doors for everybody. That's not my my uh, uh, my take on that at all. I think immigration or, or or the movement of a person to another country is a very personal decision, and uh, it should be regulated in the sense that uh, you need to make sure who is here and who is not here. But to stop immigration um, to your country is a very uh, destructive move. Can we talk about the Mexico border? Sure. Before we go on and look at the more specific details uh, of today's uh, dilemma problems. The Mexico border, I have spent time down there and I've indeed been talking to a lot of uh, experts uh, recently. It, it really is dogma of the Cold War, is it not? Uh, it is such a uh, irony that we spent so many years pulling down the Berlin Wall, insisting upon it. And yet here we are on the southern border of this incredibly beautiful state, faced with exactly the same thing, really. Well, it's very uh, uh, ironic. Uh, you're absolutely right. I mean, and the, the shout for offense, uh, it's, it's kind of sad. And uh, that people then refer to how Israel is dealing with the Palestinians, and there's just absolutely no comparison unless you want to live like that. I mean, a, building a wall uh, presumes uh, a conflict between two countries. Uh, if you build a wall, it presumes that you are at odds with each other. Otherwise, you don't need a wall. Um, and it's, it's, it's a shame that we believe we need a wall. Now, I understand there's a lot of unwanted people coming over. Um, and there was an unfortunate uh, death uh, a few weeks ago by a rancher who was killed by uh, drug smugglers. And, and of course, that is where we should focus on. Uh, a murderer is a murderer, uh, uh, whether he's an illegal or not, and they should be punished and they should be brought to trial and brought to justice. Um, I don't think that that's necessarily an illegal immigration issue or an immigration issue. Drug smuggling is a nasty business, and it has nothing to do with uh, the, the poor guy who has lived here for 15 years, has raising four U.S. citizen children, and may find himself on the street, uh, uh, walking down the street and being asked for his papers. Uh, it's We're mixing uh, different... Uh, ideologies and mixing different ideas about what what we're trying to fight and so so building a fence will not um, protect the the rancher um, who uh, was shot by the drug smugglers if anything it will create more incentive for people that want to do things illegally have you been down there yourself yes I have it's uh to me, it, it is more than ironic. It, it is a sad failure of the American people, not, a, not just the government. I, I think that we're in a position today where the uh, American government is being so slammed for just about everything, and, and in many cases I'm sure that it's uh, criticism uh, well-deserved. But, you know, the, at the end of the day, the American people have got to stand up uh, for themselves and, and uh, f uh, for what America is all about. But I've been down there, and honestly, 
that just the sight of it is so appalling. Yeah, it is appalling. And I've also been to El Paso and I've been to the Tijuana border. It's 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 the weirdest. It's a country on its own. And uh, it really has nothing to do with the rest of the United States. It also doesn't have anything to do anything to do with the rest of Mexico. It does not represent what Mexico is like. It, it is a, uh, a despicable place to be, I think, on both sides of the border. And um, and it's really a sad state of affairs, and it's it's also, I believe, not even necessary if we look at this situation not as a problem, but as a uh, an opportunity to work together with the Mexican government. You must admit, though, David, that when you build a wall like that, it's going to take an enormous catalyst of change to actually break it down. It could indeed be there for generations. Oh. Yeah, if you build a wall, you build a wall. Yes, absolutely. I think it, and it would be a disaster because of the fact that you are assuming a conflict between two countries that are neighbors. It's dangerous. It's absolutely dangerous politically, and um, it, it's not a smart move at all. That would then suggest, as you said in the last program, that you said, I'm afraid that we are becoming a closed society. Well, that, that would definitely support that statement, would it not? Um, I guess it does. I, 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 it's a sad thing to say, but it, I think it is true. Let's look at Arizona, if we may, because I think that's the more important uh, topic of the day. Napolitano, obviously uh, former governor of the state, uh, is now in charge of homeland security. Um, I know that in the last program, again, you weren't particularly uh, impressed by her, her work in the expanded uh, position that, that she took on. And then, of course, Governor Brewer came in. We now have a situation where Arizona has taken the law into its own hands in a way opposed by uh, Capitol Hill, opposed by the president. What are your feelings on that situation for Arizona? Does that not lead to the foundations for seceding in different areas? Well, it could be. I mean, Texas already said they would secede as well. Um, I think the administration has done a very poor job when it comes to the field of immigration. I'll just keep calling it immigration, although movement might be better, but let's call it immigration. I think they have done a poor job, um, maybe even worse than the previous administration, which, which under uh, George W. Bush seemed very empathetic to the issue. Um, I find it very ironic that with the current administration, enforcement's up, uh, denials of affirmative applications, meaning applications that are filed by employers for employees, the denial rate is up as well. Um, it, it, it remains a very difficult uh, field. It gets more complicated. Memos that are coming out of Washington are very discouraging with regard to immigration. I haven't seen anything good coming out of uh, Washington as to trying to solve the issue other than um, playing into the hands of uh, Republican right-wingers saying, we need defense, we need defense, we need defense. So um, when Obama says, I don't like the new law, I think it's a flawed law, where is his solution? I haven't seen anything can I go out on a limb here? And I'm just going to play devil's advocate. There seems to be very little action on behalf of the federal government. 
in putting any troops or any support down on the southern border. There's obviously a very heavy opposition from the state of Arizona, and they have already reflected that in the latest uh, law that they've signed off. But why is it? Can we look at the reason as to why the central government, why the Democrats in Washington are not going to support Arizona? I mean, and I could become very cynical and say, really, they're looking for votes. That's how they want to maintain government. That's how they want to uh, win the election. Uh, they're they're looking for those votes, and yet on the other hand, they're not. They're they're just not going to support Arizona, support the rising crime, uh, support any of these poor ranchers on the border who who really are uh, living terribly dangerously. Yeah, I, I, well, I I don't know if they're going for votes. I see both sides just making decisions purely based on political aspirations. And that's a shame. I mean, both on the uh, administration side, Democratic side, and on the Republican side, the new ads from McCain are 180 degrees from what he was thinking four years ago. Um, The inaction by uh, the Department of Homeland Security on any of these issues makes you think, absolutely. I don't understand, uh, to be honest with you. Uh, Napolitano could do a lot of good with very simple measures. Um, Everybody seems to be waiting for comprehensive immigration review, and we've talked about that before, which, uh, sorry, comprehensive immigration reform, sorry. And um, that's just trying to put the ball in somebody else's hands and saying, I can't do anything unless there is reform. There's a lot that can be done. There is a lot that can um, help this country forward on this issue i believe that um the government the the central government have maybe allowed um arizona to pass this law to see where it will lead um so uh it will maybe be a catalyst for immigration reform or it will be a catalyst for other laws doing the same thing so it can go both ways and and i feel that the administration is just waiting and seeing what public opinion will do and public opinion of course is siding with the governor on this and uh, they want something done whether it's a bad law or not they want something done but nevertheless President Obama was dead against this law well on a legal uh, from a legal perspective from a constitutional perspective and from common sense perspective he has to be against this law it doesn't because it's a bad law um, can you can you can you cite the reasons for it being a bad law? Well, very simply put, immigration law is administrative law, and it's administrative law for a particular reason. It's not criminal law, and it's not only not criminal law to protect the alien. It's also not criminal law to not um, provide these aliens with certain rights that. Uh, criminals have in this country. So when you have an administrative law, you don't have due process rights. You The, the, the rules of evidence do not apply. Uh, basically, the alien has the burden of proof whether he is uh, eligible for a certain form of relief or whether he shouldn't be re- uh, deported. When you create a law in Arizona, which is SB 1070, and you make 
the action of being in this country without documents a criminal offense, you make that person, in effect, a criminal. And and it's no longer in the realm of administrative law. It becomes criminal law, which means that a person will have due process rights, rules of evidence apply. Um, there will be an appointed counsel, meaning that's taxpayers' money uh, to defend the criminal. And the outcome is definitely not guaranteed because the burden of proof is now no longer on the alien proving that he is eligible for relief in this country, but the burden of proof shifts to the government. So the prosecutor now will have to prove that uh, he has sufficient evidence to state his position that this person is here without documents. Now, if a cop doesn't give this person his Miranda rights or her Miranda rights, maybe that evidence can be excluded from proceedings. And if, if that's all the evidence they have was after the stop, then that person may be acquitted, and even though that person may be illegally in the country anyway. So while, because if you make someone a criminal, it changes the entire proceeding. That's one. The second thing is, even if you have been convicted for this crime, which is a state crime, it doesn't make you any more deportable from the United States than you were before. So if you were here illegally, but you were entitled to a certain form of relief under the administrative law, and now you have been in contact with the police and you've been convicted for this crime, you still may get the same relief that you were entitled for before you had this stop. So what is the point of the law? That's a good point. That's a very good question. That is, that's why President Obama had to come out and say this is a bad law. All it does is arrests people. So what have the effects been, and it's only a very short time since April the 23rd, but what are the effects? It, probably just psychological more than anything. Well, I heard a lot of people are leaving. So um, the effects for the, I would say, the people that are in favor of this law will say, well, see, people are leaving already. It's great. Uh, we don't even have to arrest them. They're gone. Um, and when they are arrested, well, that's good. They're going to be afraid, and they're going to sign their voluntary departure papers. I mean, that could happen. I mean, not everybody is man enough to fight in court. I mean, if somebody is arrested and signs uh, his voluntary departure, that person is gone. So that may happen because of this bill. People that are actually entitled under the law, under the federal law, to some form of relief may not seek that because they don't know and they are afraid but act, but in a way that might not as be as bad under the new law as what it is now because under the new law they are criminals and they have to be given an attorney after they have been given their Miranda rights under the current situation the sheriff may just do whatever he wants because there is no law are they actually going to be this fierce in in the way that the police act well um, SB 1070 uh, disputed and all has already been amended by another law, and in the, uh, which was SB twenty one sixty two, I believe, and and it's very interesting because in SB twenty one sixty two, they changed the reason for reasonable suspicion, and I think a police officer will have a very difficult time to state to 
or the prosecutor in this case, to state to the judge what the reasonable, reasonable suspicion was when he can no longer, under this new law, SB 6126, um, use national origin, race, or anything else as a basis for the reasonable suspicion. So nobody really knows what an officer can use when a person is walking down the street. Okay, so uh, essentially at the end of the day, this was a politically motivated law. Well, I think Governor Brewer had no choice but to sign it if she wanted to be reelected in Arizona. And, uh, and, and I don't blame her for signing it. It's just a bad law. There's, uh, especially the amendment is very bad because uh, it's badly written. And if a person can show an Arizona driver's license, then he's, he or she is no, no longer presumed to be illegally in the United States. And, that, and that's just not the truth. I mean, people can have a valid ID and a valid Arizona ID and be illegally in the country. And people may not have an Arizona ID and be legal in the country. I mean, this will affect a lot of people that are here legally, including citizens and including permanent residents and including asylees that haven't gotten any paperwork because they don't get it for years and years and years. And what is this suggesting about Homeland Security as a formidable establishment in administering um, all of these different visas and, and permanent resident cards. I mean, what is the state of that organization at the moment? Well, it's still a mess, and it always... I mean, it's a very difficult process. I mean, the Department of Homeland, Department of Homeland Security has been shattered in all these different agencies, and nobody communicates with each other, um, not, uh, not well anyway. And the requirements are so strict these days with biometrics and fingerprints and deadlines. And, and it's very complicated to, uh, to manage it all. So I don't even have criticism on the department itself because they are bogged down by all these requirements and regulations. But I've been doing this for a long time, and I cannot imagine a one-hour training of a law enforcement officer to be sufficient to, to determine whether a person is here legally or illegally. It's, it's impossible. There's so many uh, different rules and regulations in, in, in uh, immigration law, and that's why it was administrative law, because administrative law by nature is complicated. Um, and if you move that now to criminal law where it's always cut and dry. You're either guilty or you're not. Uh, and then there's shades where the, the attorneys can argue and can plea bargain. All that is not available in administrative law. There's no plea bargain. What you're saying then, that the outcome of the new law as it stands today makes anybody on the street in Arizona a criminal for being here without any evidence of their status. According to what I am reading uh, and how it's being presented, I believe that anybody who doesn't have documents on him or her and who is perceived to be illegally here uh, can be treated as a criminal. I'm not sure if that person then is actually convicted as a criminal. But anybody, and that, I mean it's really anybody, and a U.S. citizen too, is perceived to be an illegal alien if that person doesn't have any documents on him. Is the law, therefore, trying in any way to assure the more diehards in this state that they are safer, that they are more protected, that they have to worry less, especially those 
people who live on the in the border area? Well, I don't think the people in the border area are particularly happy with this bill. But what it does, of course, is that 70% of the people who are not minority and who are in favor of this bill, apparently, believe that they will not be stopped. And, and so they feel like they have nothing to worry about because they can honestly say that they were born in the United States and they are not going to be subject to uh, any reasonable suspicion. I would tell them they're wrong because everybody is now a reasonable, suspicious person if somebody believes they are a reasonable, suspicious person. So you're, to you're talking uh, uh, sort of Georgia, Orwell, Big Brother. Well, it's very scary. It's, uh, it's very scary. Um, I, I mean, I wrote down some, some really uh, basic points on it. It seems like what the sheriff of Maricopa County has been doing is now taking hold statewide. And so this kind of law makes that law enforcement officer, uh, by creating this law through his peers in the Arizona legislature, by, by having Russell Pierce being a staunch advocate for this, you have now uh, someone that can make the law, enforce the law, be the judge, and then also be the executioner. That's kind of uh, contrary to what we want in the United States. That's, that's what this law kind of portrays to me. I don't want to go off track here because we want to stay focused on this. But looking back at the Founding Fathers, the premise of this country both written into the Constitution and, and everything else that they concentrated on looked at a government, a central government that had a negative impact that was not confrontational, not impactful, um, uh, not wishing to have too much effect on the separate states in the country. The separate states had to a certain point uh, an autonomy. Mm -hmm. They could do what they wished within uh, certain confines. Well, on that side of the argument, therefore, would it not be sensible to say that this law that has been passed in Arizona fits within those, those concepts that the original fathers had, had looked at? Well, proponents of the law would certainly argue that. Um, however, Article 4 of the Constitution um, prevents states from implementing laws like these. And I'm not even talking about the 14th Amendment and equal protection and, and whether this is a racial profiling law. We, I don't know. I, it probably uh, will be, but I don't know for sure. But enacting the law like this is contrary to what the Founding Fathers believed that our government would be. Because by act, enacting a law like this, and especially the amendment which says if you have an Arizona ID you are presumed to be legal in the United States. That amendment has not been passed yet. Um, yes, it has been passed, yes. It's so, part of this, part of the bill. So in other words, if I'm in Arizona and I am illegal and I have no paperwork, but I've got an Arizona driving license, which I think is pretty easy to get. Well, not anymore, but there are people that have driver's licenses from years ago that are valid for until they're 65. So if they got these licenses, I believe, before 2006 when Arizona changed their 
um, regulations on how to get an ID, all these people, or not all these people, but most of these people might have a, a valid ID. But if you're a person from Oklahoma and you're a, a, a driver, a truck driver, and you go through Arizona and you don't have a, a, an Arizona ID, that, does that get you into trouble? I don't know. That's why this law is it, it, it exceeds the boundaries of what a state can do. Surely, though, we are talking about excessive methodology here, and it could be that it's going to be racial profiling that actually wins out in this. Well, racial profiling will occur because it already occurs. I mean, whether with SB 1070 or without it. Um, I mean, the sheriff is not uh, investigating uh, uh, places where there's just white people in Scottsdale. He's just not. He's going for uh, places where there's a lot of Hispanic workers. And uh, what SB 1070 does, it gives a license to citizens to start racially profile. Not so much the police force, but under this law, a person could sue the government if after a tip that police officer or that law enforcement agency does not pursue um, the tip and make, trying to find out if a person is legal in the United States or not. So the, its citizens are now licensed to racially profile and... and, and uh, is that not dangerous? <laughs> it's more dangerous, I believe, than law enforcement being allowed to racially profile because law enforcement is they are trained and there may some maybe bad apples uh, but but normally i would think the police departments are very um, aware of of not being uh, racist but a, a regular citizen doesn't have any um, how do you say that there's there's nothing to stop a person to, from being a racist we've Established, therefore, that Homeland Security is very chaotic. But they have a lot of problems in that service. It's interesting looking at this and looking at the bigger picture. On the other side of it, you have the diehards with the Minutemen down on the border who actually three weeks ago put a call out for more people upon which they received so many offers that they immediately closed it down and now I've learned that they have uh, continued it. There are clearly dangers there uh, with excessive use by Minutemen now with this law. Would that be correct? Well, yeah. There, I mean, there's always people that will want to fight for a cause. And, and to stop illegal immigration uh, and to take that up as your cause as to protect the United States it sounds maybe very attractive to a lot of right-wing people. And that could be very dangerous. Moreover, uh, also Arizona has passed a law recently that it's okay to wear a concealed weapon without a permit. I don't know if these things are related or not. Uh, it does mean that uh, under this particular law, if you encounter as a U.S. citizen a person who you presume to be an illegal alien, there might be some self-defense involved. And, and you might say, well, I just pulled my gun because there was this criminal that was trying to talk to me or whatever. Uh, so it, it opens floodgates for, for violence. Um, it, could, it could definitely happen. Um, 
But illegal. Here's the the thing, though. When you are not in favor of the SB 1070, it doesn't mean that you are in favor of illegal immigration. And I hear that a lot. It's like, well, if you are uh, not with us, then you are just pro illegal alien. No, the problem has to uh, uh, be solved. Absolutely be solved. And and one thing, one first step maybe is to not look at immigration as a problem per se, but as a given. Immigration is a given. It is as old as humankind. People move to where the resources are. People move to where the water is. And and other people may ask upon immigrants as well because they need the workers. We have to find a system and make a system, and it's not all that difficult, that addresses that issue. The 12 million people that are supposed to be here illegally didn't all come to engage in criminal activity. They didn't. Uh, most of them are hardworking people. And there was uh, an inefficient system. And as I briefly mentioned in the, in the first part of this uh, program, in 1996, Congress made it so complicated for these people to just move back and forth between Mexico and the United States that most of them stayed because they they had equities here, they had kids here, they had uh, lives here, and when the stiff penalties that were enacted uh, could not even be overcome if they went back to Mexico and then tried to come back to the United States, they were forced to live here. And, and that's the majority of the people. So for many of them, their livelihoods are actually in peril now? Uh, in Arizona, I think not. Because the people that are um, have been here for a long, long time, they would be eligible for relief, which is called cancellation of removal. And this new law would actually put them in removal proceedings, which they cannot do themselves. You cannot file an application with the government and say, hey, um, I'm eligible for cancellation of removal. Can I file this application somewhere? I have four U.S. citizen kids, and they all suffer hardship if I am uh, uh, removed from the United States and I want to pay my penalty. You can't do it. The only way to file an application for cancellation of removal is when the government arrests you and you're being put in removal proceedings. So SB 1070 may have the opposite effect of what um, the writers uh, intended. Nevertheless, though, this new law in Arizona may act as a very, very significant deterrent. Uh, Yes, it will. And what does that mean for California and Texas uh, bordering uh, Mexico? They may now see a huge uh, change in influx in that pattern because Arizona is going to be bypassed. I I don't know what's going to happen. I just do know that people that have been here for a long, long time are moving away. And they are going to California, and they are going to New Mexico. You're talking about illegal immigrants. Illegal immigrants that are moving, but also legal uh, immigrants that are just afraid. And even um, I had a lady come in, and she was afraid for her daughter walking to the QT because she looks Hispanic, and she's born here. What does this say about America today? This This paints a very poor picture, does it not? It brings us back to 1950s McCarthy era. Um, you know, what is really hard for people to, to do is to make this comparison with the Nazis 
And um, when you say that, then people say, well, but these people are illegal and, and uh, the Jews weren't illegal. But there are certain comparisons to make. Um, maybe it would be easier to compare it to how the Nazis treated the gypsies and how the gypsies are still being treated in, in Eastern Europe. Those people are illegal. They have nowhere to go. And so they are rounded up and prosecuted. And that's what's going on with, with uh, people that have no papers in the United States. How has it made your job harder? I'm sure it has. Well, it's very recent. Um, I'm telling people not to be afraid. I, I think fear is the worst thing that you can have when you are confronted with a situation like this. If you are entitled under the law uh, to be here, and to gain a benefit. And if there's a, an, op, an opportunity for you to be here, then fight for it. Um, there's personal responsibility I believe in. I mean, if you come into this country and you didn't um, come legally, then that's a, a certain personal responsibility. You have to live with that. But there are so many people that didn't know or had no idea how to do this the right way and then fell through the cracks. And if they are entitled to benefit, they, they should fight for it. You deal with highly qualified people from abroad who want to come here and take up um, career-led positions. What about them? Have they been deterred anyway? Do you have people now, perhaps uh, clients of yours in Europe or further afield, who are saying maybe America has gone too far in one direction, perhaps it's not for me now? Absolutely. Um, it's not even just personal, uh, you know, employees looking for work or or um, people offered positions in the United States that decline and say, I'll just go um, somewhere else. It's entire companies that don't even want to deal with this anymore and had opportunities to set up um, uh, offices here and hiring 30 to 40 people, U.S. workers, and have decided against it and say, I'm just going to start in the U.K., where uh, most of my workforce is already. And with the Internet and with everything else, I don't really need to be in the United States to target that market. Are you suggesting that this could have a major economic impact on Arizona as a state? Um, Arizona, California, absolutely. Um, I have a client who has, runs a major company in Europe, about 35 million, 30, maybe 40 million a year. And we applied for his green card to set up a, a small factory in this uh, certain part of California. Denied. Uh, just denied because they didn't think it was sufficient enough for him to be here in the United States on a green card. And my client said, well, I'm not going to fight it. I don't care. Then we'll just outsource the marketing issues to our existing vendor and we'll produce everything in Europe. As a final statement, as we close uh, towards the finish of the program, David, do you have concerns yourself about America as a country now, about the direction that it's taking, about its politics, its lifestyle, its journey that it's taking now that are really showing some very desperate signs in all, all parts of society? This is maybe really strange. I have no concerns about the future for this country um, because I, I believe this is part 
of what we go through. And uh, two years ago, um, not even two years ago, we elected the first black president. And now we see this movement going to the right. Um, it may swing back to the left. It, I believe that a lot of the opinion polls are based on people not being fully informed, that you saw that with the healthcare debate, you see it with the immigration debate. Um, people really don't care about an issue in, until it affects them directly. And so I'm not concerned about the future as much. It's scary what's happening right now. I'm not diminishing it. And I'm worried about that at this particular moment. But overall, I think this is, this is the country that I love. And this is a country that I want to um, help uh, get better and, and, and build on it. And we have a lot of other things that are going on that are very, very positive. It's just a hard fight. And I don't think you want to give up the fight. So when people leave the state saying, I'm done with this, I can't do this anymore, that disappoints me because we need people to fight for what's right. And if, if we keep doing that, then I'm not worried. There's no doubt about it. It's worth fighting for. It is a great country. David Azza, thank you very much for joining me today uh, for this second in our series of programs together. You're welcome. Thanks. And for our listeners, I hope you enjoyed this program as much as we did. You can gain information on this and any other program in the series at davidgibbons.org. Meanwhile, wherever you are in this world, good morning, good afternoon, and good evening. David Gibbons in discussion welcomes listeners' comments and viewpoints at its blog at davidgibbons.org. This programming is supported by organizations and firms in the private and public sectors. Mm-hmm.